Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's Strategy Academy Health Pro Heritage Podcast. I'm Christy Smith, VP of Clinical Strategies, and with me today, I have Jason Sasser, VP of Clinical Strategies for our Home Health Division. Hey, Jason. Hey, everybody, and thank y'all for staying in tune to the last episode. <laughs> yeah, our last installment of our PDGM reimbursement series. This has been great, so I just want to say thank you for the previous seven episodes, Jason. It's been awesome tapping into your brain here. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate you having me. And really, you know, all seven really lead up to this final podcast because this everything that we're asking everybody to do and, you know, kind of be educated on everything really leads up to the importance of this last episode. Like, because in the future, everything is going to be under value-based care and under part mm-hmm. of PCOs and BPCIAs. So I'm looking forward to talking about this today. Awesome. Well, for those of you wondering, our topic today is getting a seat at the table, how ACO and BPCIA partnerships are essential. So I love this topic. Um, I just want to dive right into it. But first, just for some of our listeners who might be a little bit newer in the you know healthcare world or healthcare landscape or to home health, can you just give an overview of what an ACO and a BPCIA are so they are on the same page with the same language we're speaking here? Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, I'll go ahead and apologize. I may feel like you're in a lecture course in college for this, but you really <laughs> have to understand because I'm like, when I first, you know, kind of dove in, I was like, what is the ACA? What is the BPCIA that, you know, these companies are asking us to be part of? So I really had to do my research. So hopefully I'll put this in some good perspective for all of y'all. So an ACO stands for an accountable care organization. Uh, it's a network of doctors and hospitals that share financial and medical responsibility for providing coordinated care to patients in hopes of limiting unnecessary spending. Uh, typically, each ACO has to manage the healthcare needs of a minimum of 5,000 Medicare beneficiaries for at least three years. So all of that's important information. Um, you can think of it kind of like buying a television. Uh, TV manufacturer like Sony may contract out with many suppliers to build their sets, and kind of like Sony does for TVs, an ACO brings together the different components parts of the care of the patient, like primary care, specialists, hospitals, home health care, et cetera, and and ensures that all the parts work well together. So to recap, an ACO is a group of doctors, hospitals, or other health care providers who come together voluntarily to give coordinated high-quality care to their Medicare patients. And their goal of coordinating care is to ensure the patients get the right care at the right time while avoiding unnecessary duplication of services and preventing medical errors. Um, when an ACO succeeds, both in delivering high quality care and spending healthcare dollars more wisely, the ACO will share in the savings it achieves for the Medicare program. So there's actually a bonus if they perform well, they actually get some of the savings, um, at the base of the ACO payment structure or incentive payments. And so that's what I'm really talking about. Um, providers in an ACO receive fee for service payments throughout the performance period. At the end of the period, the payer adjusts the Payments based on the ACO's quality performance on specified metrics. And this is kind of interesting. As of January 2020, there are 558 Medicare ACOs in the United States alone, and they're serving more than 12.3 million beneficiaries with hundreds more commercial and Medicaid ACOs serving millions of additional patients as well. So that's an ACO. (laughs) So. I kind of, if you don't understand it, go back and listen to it again. So now Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about a BPCIA and they're different. A BPCIA, (laughs) (laughs) right, I know you're kind of sounding like a lot of letters. Yeah, it's a lot of letters, (laughs) all the letters of the alphabet here. So a BPCIA is better known as a bundled payment for care improvement advance program. 
Um, it is a new iteration at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, and the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, or the Innovation Center. Uh, the purpose of it is continuing efforts and implementing voluntary episode payment models. Uh, the, this model particularly aims to support healthcare providers who invest in practice innovation and care redesign to better coordinate care and reduce expenditures, uh, while also improving the quality of care for Medicare beneficiaries. Uh, BPCIA Advance qualifies as an Advanced Alternative Payment Model, uh, APM, under the Quality Payment Program. The overarching goals of the BPCIA Advance model are care redesign, health provider engagement, patient and caregiver engagement, data analysis feedback, and financial accountability. So you got really two different arms. You have, you know, on one side you have the ACO and on one side you have the BPCIA. And you'll see a lot of physician groups that actually are a part of both, but you'll see a lot more uh, physician groups like an orthopedic practice be part of a BPCIA. And that's where they really limit, you know, the number of visits for home health and outpatient and really watch the spending. Because what it is, is, is and I'll, this may be a little bit confusing, but this is the best way I know how to explain it. It's going in for a total knee. And the surgery all together, uh, along with their therapy and their rehab is going to cost around $20,000. And you have a five-star agency over here that can see the patient within six visits. And they're five-star. They can get them better. But they can do the home health section for $5,000, where this other company can do the same thing, but it costs $8,000. The BPCIA or the ACO looks at that and says, okay, I'm going to go with the agency that's a five-star and only costs 5000 because I can save 3000 if I go with them instead of the other company. Yeah. I hope that kind of makes sense. <laughs> so that's really so that's really why it's important to get your star ratings up. Why well, I say everything that we've talked about leads up to star ratings, getting your star ratings up, you know, showing quality, showing improvement in your patients because at the end of the day, that's the companies that these uh, value-based purchasing and uh, payment right. reform is going to look at. So what would you say are the advantages of becoming a preferred provider for these organizations? Why should this be such a great area of focus for them? Uh, the advantage of becoming a preferred provider is that you get the majority of the mm-hmm. home health referrals from these organizations, to be honest with you. Um, you have first choice to accept the referral and manage the patient care. Um, home health agencies can also share in the risk and have some potential, you know, to share in the bonus structure as well. A lot of them stray away from that, but you do have the opportunity. Uh, Honestly, I would stick to just being a preferred provider if it was just me, just if you want my honest opinion. Um, CMS measures every ACO's quality performance using the standard uh, methods. Uh, Quality measures span four domains, and they are this way right here. They're patient caregiver experience, care coordination, patient safety, preventative health, and at-risk populations. What are <laughs> what are the requirements usually to become a preferred provider? Like, what are those check boxes that home health organizations should check off and say, "I'm in good standing." Yeah, so you, you know, you've always heard me say you want to be a four star or higher because usually a preferred uh, partner exemplifies a star rating of a four star or higher. Uh, to be honest with you. Uh, more ACOs and BPCAs do not even want to meet with anyone lower than a four-star. So that's why. You know, and ensuring a high-star rating ensures the ACO and the BPCA that your agency cares about quality, improving patient care, and improving patient satisfaction while also managing finances accordingly. Um, You need to be able to take them data from your agency or organization. You know, you've always heard us push (laughs) data as the new donuts, and that's true. Uh, They want to see data. 
you have to show them how you manage patients financially and clinically with top tier focus. Um, that is why documentation and showing improvements is so important. If you do not have that foundation as an agency, you will never get a seat at the table and you will lose the opportunity to have increased revenue, uh, but also Im- impact patients' livelihood. In a Are there way easy way. ways for home health organizations to check and see if these other organizations, ACOs, BPCIAs, exist in their demographic area? Yeah, there's actually a couple of ways. You can go to cms.gov and data.cms.gov. But the best place to go is to just type in Google search um, data.cms.gov special program initiatives, Medicare shared savings, and it should pop up and tell you where to take you to the direct link. So what can agencies implement and do now and today to improve their chances of getting a seat at the table with these organizations in the future? Really, I want to say everything we have discussed mm-hmm. on the first podcast. Um, you know, it's really when you look at it as a as a whole big picture, is having a diverse caseload and not just focusing on one area because you want to be able to see all patient types. Uh, you want to make sure you have a low lucre percentage. Uh, you want to create pathways and specialty programs that you know kind of cater to specific type patients. Uh, you really need to focus on improving your star ratings and quality measures, your H caps, your home health care consumer assessment of healthcare providers and system survey, you need to look at that. Um, Having correct OASIS scoring along with clinical education for documentation so you can actually show improvement. Uh, Treatment plans, uh, exceptional operational management of the care teams. Um, I think you kind of get a good idea about the foundation of where you need to start if you listen (laughs) to all of our previous podcasts. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Jason. Hopefully our listeners found this helpful. As always, we're here. If you have any questions or just want to talk about this topic further, you could always reach out to Jason and I, and you could email us at strategypodcast at healthpro-heritage.com. But this does conclude our eight-part PDGM reimbursement series, and I hope that you found it helpful. I know I sure did, and I learned a lot. So again, thank you so much, Jason. Um, And I look forward to many more podcasts with you and maybe even more series like this one. Um, So We'd love feedback on it also. So if you just find this helpful, you know, if you could just shoot us a quick line and, you know, also ideas of what you all want to hear about moving forward. You know, we love that as well. So please don't be shy. Um, We would love to hear from you. And thanks again for tuning in. And thanks so much, Jason.